Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of musculoskeletal healthcare. And I think I found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the clinic gym hybrid model. And over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the U.S. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and it is my pleasure, my honor, really, today to be talking to the uh, basically the one man that every chiropractor is jealous of. Uh, you know, women want him, men want to be him, Dr. Greg Friedman. Greg, how are you, buddy? I'm great, Josh. How are you? I'm good. And uh, Greg, you're joining us from basically the Phoenix area, right? That's correct. Awesome. You like to stay warm and dry. As much as I can. Nice. Well, Greg, uh, you, uh, you were one of the, I think we first actually met in person because you were one of the speakers at the original, the original forward convention, uh, which, you know, anybody that's listening that went to that, it's like, the people that say they saw Nirvana at a dive bar in Seattle, you know, like right. <laughs> we were there when it, before it was cool. That's right. That was yeah. awesome. And you're kind of known as a, you, you do a, you have your clinical practice and then you also do some documentation seminars and have kind of made a, uh, made a practice of helping other Kairos improve their documentation. Am I right? A one trick pony. <laughs> oh no, you have many tricks, <laughs> many. Uh, well, then that makes me a, a, a lazy dog and we'll do the dog and pony show. You there know? You go. Yeah. Anyway, so Greg, can, I know that you're, uh, you're not the first chiropractor in your family and people sometimes like to hear a little history of the guests. So can you give us a little background in you and how you became a chiropractor and how you got into the documentation seminars? Sure. Well, my father was a chiropractor for about 60 years. So Ooh. I've been saying since I'm about five years old that I was going to be a chiropractor. Huh. And basically for most of my life, it was just because my father was, and I wanted to do that. And I, I, I never really swayed from that until my junior year in high school. And then my junior year in high school, I thought, okay, this is an important decision to make. Do I, am I saying that for the right, just because of my father, do I really want to be a chiropractor? So as fate would have it, I had an English class and my English teacher in high school wanted us to do a research paper. Um, comparing two or more things. Huh. So I thought, okay, I'm going to compare careers. So by that time, I already figured out that I wanted to be either a chiropractor, a medical doctor, or an attorney. And if you can imagine, I'm not going to tell you what year this was, but it was many years ago, and I thought there were already too many attorneys. So, so that was out. So then it was between... <laughs> Little did you know. Chiropractic <laughs> the and greenhouse had not yet bloomed. Right. So it was between chiropractic and medicine. So I researched it and I read a lot. And then I interviewed medical doctors and I interviewed chiropractors. And what struck me was this. Now this is, this is years before managed care. So this is when medicine was still pretty good. I interviewed medical doctors and every one of them was totally burned out and they, and they hated it. I mean, they liked the the practice of medicine, but they're like, oh man, you know, we're on call all the time and patients calling us at three o'clock in the morning and it, it can't really leave town and 
feel comfortable. It was awful. They hated it. I'm like, wow. Well, then I interviewed chiropractors and it was like, it was like interviewing a room full of surfers. They were like, dude, it's so awesome. I love it. Patients are great. That <laughs> was so funny. And it was really a very stark contrast. And, and I, by the end of that research paper, I'm like, okay, that's where I want to go. And, and I became a chiropractor and I practiced uh, full-time for years. And, but I will say this, I, I got tired. Of, I love seeing patients, but I was tired of being in my office all day, every day. Uh, and, but I didn't know what else to do with that. So then I, it just became a fluky thing. And I ended up meeting some people and I started that in documentation back in the nineties of all things before anybody knew anything about it. And were we required to document back then? Was that? Were we required to document, uh, notes back then? We, we were, but nobody knew what to say. Well, it's hard to chisel it out of stone at that point, dude. I, yeah. mean, I don't it's even know if paper and pen to come along. <laughs> So, so I, 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 and I've been a public speaker for years. I'd competed in speaking competitions, but I never knew what to do with it in chiropractic. And then something happened and I got in, I was able to do a chiropractic thing and I loved it. And that changed the trajectory of my life. So I still see patients about eight or nine hours a week, just about three mornings a week for a few hours, uh, just cause I like seeing patients. Um, but I travel between between 25 and 30 weekends a year with my own seminars or conventions or things like that. And then I consult with chiropractors, attorneys, insurance companies, all that. So I really enjoy it. Awesome, dude. I gotta, I gotta say this, you know, when you were uh, describing the chiropractors, I was like, Hey dude, this is awesome, man. So I teach for a group, uh, the SFMA and it's taught to chiros and physical therapists, medical doctors. It's kind of non-denominational. And, uh, one of the other instructors and I used to play this game called PT or Cairo. Uh, Cause my friend was a PT and, and we were just from the, what the person was wearing when they walk in, we would be like, you know, PT Cairo. So to your point, and it's not so much anymore. Cause I see that a lot of physical therapists have kind of relaxed a little bit, but they used to be a little bit more stiff than the Cairo's. Right. So it'd be like a, a woman who's in like track pants and a, a, a t-shirt with a, some sort of university logo on it and kind of shorter hair. I'm like, Oh, that's a PT who did her early years as an ATC. Like that, that's how, you know, trainers, I don't know what it is about college trainers. They all wear that track pant t-shirt combo, like years after the years after training. And then a, a dude would come walking up and like, you know, it's like we're in Lake Tahoe in February and he rolls up in like board shorts, flip flops, yeah. has his like spring water in a glass jar or something. Oh, def- definitely Cairo, like Cairo. guaranteed, right? Yep. And then one time we're playing this game and this guy comes up and he's like in slacks and a button down shirt. And we're like looking at each other and my buddy goes, oh, he's a hospital-based clinical director. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, nobody else would, wa- would choose to wear that shit on a Sunday. So right. yeah. Anyways, yeah. It, was, uh, it was very obvious that the chiropractor's in this course, we're the most relaxed and, and uh, enjoying themselves the most. We're very so, chill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so different. In PTs, you usually, I would say probably 90% of the PTs in the nation work for somebody, usually a large group, you know, mm-hmm. and 90% of the chiros basically are on their own, right? Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, so we might dive down into, uh, into uh, some documentation questions here. But first, you competed as a public speaker? I did. 
Nice. What was the group that you would speak for or, or the subject or whatever? I mean, because this is the years before teaching, right? Yeah. So I was in Toastmasters for about 20 years uh-huh. and I competed in some Toastmasters competitions. And uh, I was in the uh, JCs, United States JCs. I was in the Arizona JCs and uh, they had a speaking competition uh-huh. and uh, I won the Arizona state competition. And then I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma and competed nationally for that. So I used to do motivational and humorous speaking. So that was, that kind of got me started with that. And that's just for fun. No, there's no, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. What, funny that it worked out in your favor, huh? How about that? Yeah. Well, I'm sure that a lot of people, uh, could use the training. I know that I went through a, a speaking course as well and it was m- probably the two most uncomfortable days of my life or three most uncomfortable days of my life, but made a huge difference. So yeah. I'd recommend it to anybody. Me too. Yeah. All right. So let's talk documentation, my man, because, uh, you know, I remember you, you talking about this years ago and I'm like, Oh man, come on, Friedman, like ease back a little bit. And then <laughs> I made the mistake of reviewing a case. I think I, I think I scrubbed the names and sent you what it looked like, but if anybody can picture this, imagine a piece of computer paper with 37 visits described on a single sheet of paper. Now, yeah. how would you describe 37 visits on a single sheet of paper? Each line has to have essentially your entire soap note, but written in one line. So, you know, the pain findings, the subjective complaints of the patient, any orthopedic tests you want to do, any treatment rendered in the plan, and just repeat that on an entire sheet, one line after the other, and then all together that was you know supposed to be thirty nine hundred dollars worth of care or something like that. That's right. It's unbelievable. Yep. So when did you go from like, hey, I, I see a problem to, man, I got to do something about it, and and I kind of like talking, so I'll help some people out. So I, I really started in the nineties of all things before before it was a thing. And back then, it, I, was, I was really talking about, I, I did this in practice where I started measuring patients' range of motion, like with inclinometers, and it, it changed everything. Just doing that one thing, it changed everything. Now, I remember back then, I started doing outcome questionnaires too, but it was kind of a hassle. It, it, it just took, it didn't take that long, but it took long enough to make it aggravating. And I quit doing it. But I measured range of motion with a computer system back then. And it changed how I communicated with patients. It changed my report of findings. It changed the uh, patient, how patients complied with my recommendations. It changed how I got reimbursed. I'm like, wow. Just from the introduction of measuring range of motion. Yeah, like that's interesting. So then I started teaching chiropractors for uh, another company that a friend of mine had with that, just on the range of motion stuff like that. I did like a Thursday seminar for six hours for a while. And that's kind of where I started with that. And then things changed a bit and it became maybe, maybe a little bit less involved with the range of motion stuff, but then the other stuff started coming up, whether it was Medicare, personal injury, things like that. And that's when it started to, to really expand. So, so I, I was doing seminars for others in the nineties and the early two thousands. And then I started uh, on my own around 2006 or so doing that. And it, I guess I want to, I want to know what, you know, you, you, you saw success with measuring range of motion, but like, when did you put together an actual course and say, man, this is, this is yeah, that was, uh, like my full course, probably around 2006. 
Okay. So I started putting it all together with not just range of motion, but certain certain things that we have to document and that we mm-hmm. should document. And uh, and then I started traveling all over the country, and I wasn't sure if anybody was going to care about it. In fact, you know, I'd, I'd like to go to Europe, and because I want my message to be global, I'm trying to raise the standard for the entire profession. That includes outside the United States. I'm just wow. not sure, though, that they care outside the United States. I'm, I'm a little iffy yeah. on that. I'm not sure that a lot of chiropractors in the United States care. But Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about that pressure real quick because I think that you know, when you're in school, you, there's, you have no idea what's coming down the pike, right? I mean, they don't tell you what it's like. But um, when, when you work for, with insurance companies, because I've done some of that work and I've done some work with attorneys and, uh, and chiros and everybody, um, you kind of see these battles that ensue and basically, I would, I would relate it to this. If you're working for an insurance company, you're agreeing to play basketball. And if you agree to play basketball, both teams have to agree, hey, we're going to play this way. And, you know, you sign a contract that says we're going to play games this way. You can't come in and then take a shot from the free throw line and tell them that it's worth three points. Right. You know, like, you just can't do that. And people are like, yeah, yeah, but I, I can go out of bounds, but you can't. And the insurance company's like, no, I'm not going to pay you if you keep running out of bounds or if you, you know, I'm not going to pay you for three-point care from doing layups, you know? No, that's and, true. Uh, but I'll tell you this, and I want doctors to understand this. I don't want doctors getting stuck on the notion that documentation is only for insurance reimbursement because it's not. It, it has now transcended all of that. In fact, documentation, I mean, look, the eyes of the world are finally upon us. We've been, we've been asking for this forever in our profession. We've been begging for it, and now they're watching for us. The way we document is, the way, is how we show the world who we are as chiropractors and what we do and how effective we are or are not. And we are, there is a golden opportunity here for us to show the world how good we are. And our documentation ah. is so, so awful most of the times that it is, it's killing us. And if we can change it and make it better, we can really change the whole narrative about our profession. However, we have to figure out a way to do this in the least amount of time because you know how we are. Nobody wants to do this. Even me, I don't want to do it. But we, if we could do it in very little time, it could actually work. So don't send that uh, 37 visits on one piece of paper to the local MD? Don't send it to anybody. <laughs> I don't want anybody ever seeing that, ever. <laughs> yeah. Burn it. All right. So tell them that there was a fire in your office and that all the records you have burned. <laughs> you know, what's funny. I have a friend who uh, is like a, she's a forensic uh, CPA and they were suspected at a local city office. There was suspected fraud that somebody was taking money and stuffing it down their pocket. And uh, so they did all this research and they narrowed it down to three people and they basically changed the work schedule to find out on purpose. They said, hey, we're modifying work schedule. It was to isolate the incidents, right? And uh, so the change is supposed to take effect Monday and they're like, we'll have this wrapped up by Friday. Uh, this person is stealing so much that there's no way it's going to go a full week without us knowing, right? right. <laughs> so Monday night, uh, somebody uses the key card to come into the office. Uh, the, the, there's crappy video, but you can't tell who it is. And, um, and when they leave about 20 minutes later, an 
quote unquote accidental fire starts on the file cabinets. <laughs> and they're like, the best part was they had no idea what the hell they were doing. And, you know, it just really, this little thing that's kind of smoked and didn't burn anything. And they're like, all right, well, then they, you know, they get security footage of who was in the parking lot and whose key card it was. And they're like, oh, look at that. We didn't have to wait till Monday. She showed um, us on Sunday night. That's great. Yeah. So you got to watch out for those miraculous fires, you know? Got to watch out for that. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so documentation. So if we really want to impress the world and we really want to make ourselves better. And by the way, you know, I, I think too, if you're working in an office with multiple providers or you want to have a, a, a preceptor in your office or what I suggest, which is, you know, um, in, if you want to offer active care, I think that, you know, having a highly trained CA that acts kind of like a personal trainer is a fantastic way. All those people need clear knowledge of what's going on in the situation rather than a five minute conversation about every single patient every time. Right. Right. There's no need to over-document and that's what some chiropractors are doing. They're, they're saying too much. I'm like, just quiet. Don't, don't talk. You're saying too much. Interesting. Interesting. I want you to say less, but the less that I want you to say needs to be some specific items. Yeah. Well, you mind sharing some of these nuggets with us uh, about this? Because I mean, just the fact of what, what would you say the top three things you say you tell them not to include when you're reducing the amount of documentation they have to do? What are the top three things they're including that don't really matter? So some of the, one of the things that I see in a lot, so I review a lot of records for insurance companies too. And I, I really have no biases. I'm looking for very specific things and they're either there or they're not. Uh-huh. Uh, so some chiropractors, especially as more and more chiropractors are using software for this, these softwares are set up so that you are just saying a bunch of words, just a bunch of words that are literally meaningless. They, it's, it's just ridiculous. Um, so some of the things that we should not be talking about would be when, when the doctor is oversharing on that, um, let's see, the subjective complaints where I only care about like three things, basically. Which, you know, after we get through the history, there's only just a few things to document. Well, some of these doctors are documenting all these crappy things that are terrible. Now, we understand that Medicare really drives the train for this whole thing because everyone else follows Medicare. So if you do deal with insurance, you'll notice that a lot of insurance companies are requiring documentation that follows the Medicare guidelines with that. So if we learn how to do, deal with Medicare properly, we can make this work. And Medicare wants only two basic things from us. Two basic things. Pain and function. That's it. Pain and function. All the other insurers want the exact same thing. Pain and function. PI, you want to do PI? What do you think they're looking for? Hold Pain. on. And function. Oh, yeah. Man, I thought I was going to guess it. Dang. Okay, wait, let me try this. Workers comp. What are you looking for? Hold on. Uh, eye color, uh, anxiety levels, and am I close? Exactly. <laughs> so what's happening is we, most chiropractors are missing these two things. And they're talking about all this other crap. And I'm like, but where's, where's the two things? That's all I'm looking for. Yeah. So... And, and pain can be described how? Like, I mean, what, what are you looking so, for there? So, there's, so Medicare wants us to, uh, to do a, an assessment of pain. Now, here's the interesting thing from Medicare, because I, I helped a chiropractor with a, an audit appeal mm-hmm. uh, maybe a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, it went back a few years and they were trying to get like 66,000 bucks from this guy. And when I, when I saw the report from the administrative law judge, the one thing that they got this guy on, on every single visit was he, they said he did not document a change, uh, a change in each condition since the previous visit. Number two, he did not document treatment effectiveness. Well, I've been preaching this for years, so I know how to document that, and I do document that, but I, I thought about this. I'm like, how many chiropractors are actually doing that? In other words, if every chiropractor in the United States got audited by Medicare, would they pass those two things? And the answer is very few would pass that. So how do we do that? All right, so let's talk about the subjective part of our note. What's, okay. what, are the, what are we looking for with that? So there's two ways to document pain. First of all, on the, on the daily visit. Now, what before we dive into this, Greg, let me just make this point. Greg yeah. offers an entire day seminar that's wildly exciting. Plus, you get to spend time with him, which is, I mean. Two days. A lot of people. Two days, yeah. A lot of people pay for that just to spend time with him. But you could also come away with some knowledge, right? Wait, I'm not getting paid for this today? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, man. The check's in the mail, buddy. Uh, <laughs> but if people want to actually do the two days before you dive into this, or if they're like, man, this is awesome, how, how can they find your courses? So my uh, website is got, the name I sent me is got documentation. Okay. So my website is got documentation.com. So it's G O T got documentation.com. Now for those kids that grew up in the nineties, that used to be based upon the uh, got milk commercial, but now people are going to be like, what does Greg have to do with game of Thrones? I don't right. know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way, uh, game of Thrones documentation, just, GOT documentation. There you go. So let's dive back into this. So description for Medicare of pain. Okay. So all we're looking for is, so the one thing that, that some doctors doing now for, for pain is documenting, rating the, the intensity of pain, zero to 10. Okay? okay. Where zero is no pain, 10 is the most pain imaginable. And I tell doctors, make this easy on your patient. When you, because a lot of doctors say, oh, my patients hate this. That's because you're giving them too many choices. For mm -hmm. example, I hate eating dinner at Cheesecake Factory. Oh, that was going to be my example too. I hate it. And, the, and it's not because the food is bad. It's because their menu is so huge. It's so mm -hmm. aggravating. It takes me like 20 minutes to get through the menu. And then I forgot. It's, in fact, I it's frustrating because there's so much good stuff. I hate it. Yeah, it drives me crazy. I just, I just give me five options. Mm -hmm. And let me just choose. Well, anyway, that's what happens when you give them zero to 10. Patients are like, oh, right. so do this. So if zero is no pain, one to a three is mild, four to a seven is moderate, and eight to a 10 is severe. So I just ask the patient, all right, so you have headaches. Are they mild, moderate, severe? Because they sort of understand that. Mm -hmm. They can't define it, but they sort of understand it. Are your headaches mild, moderate, or severe? Patient says, eh, let's say moderate. And then I'll say, okay, moderate is between a four and a seven. So give me an argument between four and a seven and not zero to 10, but between four and seven. Is it closer to mild? So it's a four. Is it closer to, closer to severe? So it's a seven. Or is it more in the middle, like a five or a six? And that's how we can kind of get them to a number much more easily. And then on the next visit, I can tell them, okay, your headaches last time were a seven out of 10. Any difference today? And the patient can say, um, let's go down one number to a six. Okay. That's all that has to be really easy. However, if you only do the pain intensity, 
it becomes very limiting because it's very possible that that patient's condition can get stuck at a seven for a while. So now your records look like seven, 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 and you're not telling us anything. So one other thing that we can add to that for better context would be the percentage of time that they're feeling the intensity of that for that condition, the percentage of time. So what some softwares are doing though, which is not helping, is giving you a range of occasional, intermittent, frequent, and constant. That might be okay if you're seeing the patient once every six to eight weeks or so, like a medical doctor may. But for us, when we're seeing the patient pretty regularly, that gives us nothing. So instead, what I recommend is document the percentage of time in actual numbers, not 22%, but maybe five or 10% increments. So, you know, 75% of the time, 50%, uh-huh. 25% of the time, 100% of the time. So that way, even if the pain intensity is stuck at a 77777, the frequency might be going from 100% down to 95%, down to 90%. And that gives us, con- now we can see, all right, there's, the intensity isn't changing, but the frequency is improving, and that's still showing improvement. So that's something, and those two things, should be, so it's the same thing. Every visit, I'll, I can look at the patient and say, all right, your headaches were 90% of the time when I saw you two days ago. Any changed since then? Um, yeah, it's not as constant, so maybe 95%, maybe 90%. All right, so that's it. But now we can show the changing of the metrics, and now I can actually use technology to calculate for me in every visit. All right, so the pain intensity went from a 7 to a 6. That's a 14% improvement. The yeah. pain frequency went from 70 to 60%. That's a 14, whatever percent improvement that is. Now we're able to show the change. And then the third part of subjective would be the use of outcome questionnaires. And I've been preaching this for decades. I want to pause real quick because I just want to illustrate something about the pain. You know, like I said, I've done some record reviews and uh, I, I think everybody should go into their uh, their software and find that button that is... If you walk through, like I went, I was walking through Parker's seminar. It was funny to me, you know, there's four or five documentation softwares in the, in the building. Right. And one, like three of them all talked about how fast you can do a note. Like that's their, their pitch, right. Is, oh yeah, you can do documentation five seconds. Watch this. And they, one of them had a salt button, the same as last treatment. Yep. And you click that and click done and it takes everything. Right. So when I've done these reviews, I'm like, so you're telling me that, you know, Mr. Johnson here was seven out of 10 for 30 straight days. Then there was a re-exam. Then he was five out of 10 for 30 straight days. Then you did a re-exam and there's no pain. You know, like that's not how pain acts. And Hallmark miracle. Yeah. I always call it the, the Christmas miracle. Like he woke up on Christmas day and all his pain had gone away. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing is, I think if you want to show the severity of, a, of an injury, hey, it's a seven, it's a seven. It jumped to an eight. Then it got it back down to a seven, a six. Then it jumped to an eight. Like that's what happens in major injuries is you get those flare-ups. It's not a perfect linear progression or they do a four-phase, I always like four-phase recipe treatment plan and starts in an eight after re-exam two or after re-exam one, it goes to six out of 10. Then after the second re-exam goes to four out of 10 and then goes to two out of 10. But it's like this perfect stair-step fashion. You're like, that's not how human beings respond to care, at least that I've seen, you know? I mean, it can, it can but it's not yeah. likely. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're, I think you're not doing, you're not doing the, because if I send you notes, I'm like, Greg, this person moved to Phoenix 
And you look and you say, all right, well, it was an eight out of 10, then a seven, then a six, then a nine, then a seven, then a six, then an eight, then a five, then a four. That gives you a little bit of information going, this thing may have some instability. I probably want to re-examine like, you know, the, the pain moves around a lot. I don't want, you know, you might be wondering how that person uh, responds to care or what seems to flare them up. And it gives you more information than just this linear number. Anyways, that's my little diatribe, but yeah, no, I agree. Go ahead. So the, and the third, the third thing would be the outcome questionnaires and this is where function comes in. Mm -hmm. So certain outcome questionnaires are pain only, which we don't need to do because we've already documented the intensity and the frequency. So I tell doctors, look for the functional outcome questionnaires, but look for the ones that are quick and easy to do. Don't load up your patients on these, you know, huge questionnaires that aren't necessary. So for example, I love the Bournemouth questionnaires for back and neck. I like them better than Oswestry and the NDI for the neck, which are 10 questions. Seven questions is 30% shorter than 10 questions. It's faster. It's easier. So I just get like seven minute abs. I mean, everybody's heard of eight minute abs. Yeah. (laughs) Does that not work? Anyway, um, there's a, there's a questionnaire for headaches. That's a little bit longer, about 26 questions, but it's beautiful for how it it helps determine, you know, it asks questions like, do the headaches affect your ability to read or to socialize with family and friends and things like that? We could track those scores. So the pain intensity and frequency should be documented every visit. Outcome questionnaires, according to Medicare, should be done every 30 days or sooner. And the or sooner is very important to understand, or sooner. Because what I tell doctors is, Go with the or sooner. Do it every two weeks for the outcome questionnaires. Why two weeks? Because there are other guidelines that are being used against you mm-hmm. that have been around for it. Started with the Mercy guidelines, but they're also used by ODG and CCGPP and workers' comp guidelines in multiple states that says if the patient does not show signs of objective improvement in any two successive two-week periods, referral is indicated. Now, they don't mean objective the way we usually think of objective. They, what they really mean is measurable and functional. So think of it this way. If a patient does not show signs of measurable or functional improvement, then the two successive two-week periods, referral is indicated. Well, that means that if you do a trial of care, so to establish your measurable functional baselines, do a trial of care for two weeks, and then what do you do after two weeks? reassess, redo those outcome questionnaires. If the outcome questionnaires show measurable functional improvement, but it's not yet normal and not yet plateaued, are you justified to continue treating that patient? Yes. For how long? Two weeks. Go another two. Just think about two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. If you you think to yourself, oh, Greg, I don't want to do this every two weeks, even though it only takes a minute, I'll just do it every 30 days. Okay. Do it every 30 days, but I'm warning you, if after 30 days, you do not, they do not show measurable functional improvement, I'll cut you off. No more, no more treatment. And you'll say, why? Because isn't 30 days equivalent of two consecutive two-week trials? You have one shot at this. If you do this every two weeks, you now have the flexibility to look and see, oh, wow, we didn't really get anywhere in this last trial. I need to change something about the treatment, mm-hmm. change a technique, uh, an exercise, a modality, whatever it is, and go for another two-week trial. Keep going until you find that because they may do fine for a while with one particular methodology and then they hit a wall. 
change something, do something. And that's the whole key. And that gets us very, very patient-centered with us and we're able to track it. So when I review records, uh, I can be brutal because I'm looking, the first thing I'm looking for, the first thing I look for are the symptoms and I'm looking to determine one thing. Are the symptoms ridiculous or not ridiculous? That's it. That's it. Only two things, ridiculous or non-ridiculous. And they're almost always non-ridiculous in the, in the uh-huh. cases that I see. Second thing that I look for is, did you establish measurable functional baselines at the beginning of care, like with outcome questionnaires? The answer is no for 99.9% of all cases I review. The answer is no. Now, if they didn't do it at the beginning of care, are they going to do it again at four, two or four weeks? No. But I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to look at your records at about the four-week mark to see, did you do any questionnaires there? And the answer is no. So now you've got no functional measurable improvement after four weeks of care. I cut you off. And the tragedy is this patient probably needed more care. And this patient would have benefited from more care. But that's not my job here. My job is to see, did you justify that care? And that's why, so uh, just so how to get past me for that, show me measurable functional improvement. And that's the key. Medicare requires that we show the effectiveness of our treatment. We've got to be able to document, is our treatment even helping this patient? And it's not just those pain intensity numbers that only get you to the next visit. The key to get beyond the four-week mark are the functional measurements. That's the key. Are you interested in becoming a better provider for musculoskeletal conditions? Well, if you know me, you might have seen me out on the road, but I totally believe in, I love, I adore the SFMA, the Selective Functional Movement Assessment. It is a fantastic way of assessing the movement-based dysfunctions in your patients. Now, why movement? Because movement has to do with motor control, and that's usually the first sign that pain is going to develop. And it's a better, more reliable method than assessing pain. So if you're interested in using a movement-based diagnostic system as part of your intake protocol, I would highly recommend the SFMA. Plus, they've got the best instructors. I'm one of them. So I'll make it fun. I'm easy to listen to. And well, I don't know about that, but I enjoy teaching it. And it's a fantastic course. I recommend it. So check out functionalmovement.com and look for an SFMA course near you. Functionalmovement.com. Look for an SFMA level one coming to your area. Hope to see you there. So you're not saying to inundate our patients with an Oswestry and an NDI and a headache questionnaire on day one and then never do it again because you're going to end up with, you're not going to get paid for your care. The patient's going to hate it because they're filling out what feels like a, a phone book worth of information, right? And, uh, and it's not getting you any open doors. So use these uh, briefer functional questionnaires more frequently, but not to a point where it overwhelms you or the patient. Right. So in your example, I would give the patient a headache questionnaire and I would give them the neck Bournemouth questionnaire and maybe the back Bournemouth questionnaire on the first visit. Okay. But I would explain to them why. I said, this is how we're going to determine if you're improving or not. And we're trying trying to keep, my goal is to get you better as fast as possible and as cost effectively as possible. And then, so I said, we're going to track this, we're going to score these, and then I'm going to have you do these again after two weeks of treatment to see if we're on the right track or not. I would, I would, you know, that might be worth some training with your front desk staff or, or like you're saying, the conversation with them, because, you know, if that person is in a significant amount of pain and they have headaches, it's hard to concentrate They're you know, or it's after an, um, 
a traumatic injury, a car accident, or they fell or something like that, um, you know, probably filling out a ton of paperwork is pretty low on their list, which is why, by the way, I think in those cases, a little, little tip is have your front desk person fill out all the electronic stuff for them. If they just bring in filled out paperwork and hand it to you, like their name and all that stuff, please don't make them write their address five or six times. I want to go to all these offices, Greg, where they're like, fill out these pay. And every one of them asks for your name, address. I'm like, like, do you guys, we're in the you know digital age here. Like how hard would it be for you to know that the one time I wrote it was correct? Like this is not a crazy idea, right? So what I anyway, recommend for the, right. for the initial paperwork, to don't have the patient come in your office and fill that out there. Mm-hmm. That is inefficient. That's a poor use of time. Instead, when they call to make their first appointment, have your staff ask them for their email address or if they have internet access, go to your website and have the mm-hmm. paperwork on the website or email it to them and tell them, fill this out at home ahead of time, bring it in already completed to your visit. It'll save you a lot of time. Mm-hmm. It's much more efficient for the doctor and the staff also. So now they come in, you look at the paperwork, make sure they didn't skip anything. If they did give it back to them, if everything is all filled out properly, now they're good. Now all they've got to do, once I know what their symptoms are, then I'm going to give them the appropriate outcome questionnaires to do. But they've already done the other stuff ahead of time, usually, which is, which is a great way to do that. So don't, yeah, don't load them up. But you're going to have to explain to the patient w- the why behind the outcome questionnaires. Because if, if you or your staff have a bad attitude about it, like, oh, yeah, sorry, but you got to do that. Forget it. It's gonna, they're going to pick up on that. So instead say, hey, this is exciting because this is how we are going to be able to best help you. We're going to track this and see are you getting better or not? And, and I want to make sure that I'm doing as, yeah. as much as I can to help you. Yeah. Cause I'm sure to them, it, it feels encumbering to the patient. They're like, why does Greg want this information? And I, I think that's an important point to realize Greg doesn't necessarily want it or not want it, but that's not why you're doing it. You're trying to illustrate this case to somebody else to make sure that they get paid or their bills get paid, whatever, right? Like that you're, you're helping them present a better case to their insurance company as well. I don't even care about the insurance at that point. I want to show the patient after two weeks of care that they had a 28% improvement in their function based on these questionnaires. I mean, that's my report of findings. Man, I've been wrong 18 times in this interview so far. (laughs) This is great. So you do have a lot of uh, amazing information, Greg. And once again, people can find your courses at gotdocumentation.com, correct? That's right. All right. So let me ask you this, Greg, because I I see, um, I get some emails and stuff from folks that are running, you know, the clinic gym hybrid model. So they got the clinic and the gym next door and, and you're dealing with a very, when I say this, uh, so if we look at Medicare now and Medicare starts, let's just say it's 65 years old. I'm okay. sure that you've seen, there are 65 year olds out there who are living a life of what used to be a 45 year old, right? They're, they're running triathlons on the weekends. They're playing golf two or three times a week They're And it doesn't fit into that quote unquote Medicare model perfectly. And then you have these other people that are decrepit and, you know, you got to put a second chair in your office for the Grim Reaper to sit down with them. You're sure that 67 years old is as old as they're going to, you know, their 67th birthday is the last one they're going to see. And it's such a variation. It seems to increase with time. I treated a guy the other day as an 81 year old dude, and I could have easily convinced you he was early sixties at that. And you would, you would have believed me, you know, just his, just the speed at which he spoke and, and um, how he moved and whatnot. And his range of motion was incredible and just love and life. So 
when you get into this kind of clinic and gym model, you deal with some very functional people. And it's almost like they get, when you're doing some of these questionnaires and what, whatnot, they're so highly functional that it's hard to show any loss of that function because essentially they're going from superhuman just down to human. And right. Any tips there? Because I, I do get this question quite a bit. So these are the people that their, their pain tolerance is pretty high. Even and let's though, say that they're like a CrossFitter who works out aggressively for an hour to two every single day. If you shave 20% of that off, you know, I mean, they're used to being sore and uncomfortable. I mean, you treat right. professional athletes, right? Like they're never not tender and sore. That's just part of the job. But right. um, tracking that properly oftentimes is hard. Yeah. So this is where you, you want to measure stuff. So if they're an athlete, if they're like, I, I have a patient who's a Medicare patient, 65 years old, and he, and he was doing triathlons. He's in great shape. And so I would have him do, I was treating him for, for a back issue and he would do, I would do the intensity frequency and the outcome questionnaires, uh, just one questionnaire, seven questions. And we really, we will attract that. But if you're finding that these athletes are these high level functional people, when they do the questionnaire, everything's a zero. <laughs> that ain't going to help you. Right. Help you. So what are, what can you measure? Well, you know, range of motion measurements is, is the, next, the next metric that may or may not be relevant for the patient. And, and this is something I've been measuring range of motion for decades, probably more than anybody. And I'll tell you this, it isn't always great because some patients will say, yeah, I don't feel like I'm moving very well. Or you'll even look at them and you'll think, wow, they look pretty stiff. Yet when you measure the quantity of their motion, it's normal. Yeah. I had a girl just as a, as a woman come in my office and she said, I have my right hamstring is super tight and uh, I heard you're good at loosening things up. And I'm like, okay, let me, let me see. So I'm thinking, all right, I got to lay down, do an SLR or something in my office. Greg, she stands up, takes her left leg, flexes it all the way up and puts it on her face and kisses it. Basically. She takes her right leg and raises it all the way up and it ends up about three inches in front of her face. So just picture this. It's basically straight up and down right in front of her. She's like, see, it's, it's really tight. I'm like, <laughs> I don't think there's anybody that would describe this tight. Well, she was a Cirque du Soleil performer. And yeah. for her, that's really tight, you know? And I'm like, right. So if I wrote in my notes, you know, left side, 175 degrees of uh, hip flexion, right side, 170, that's going to be a tough one to pass off. <laughs> well, but that's the kind of thing that I would measure. And I would yeah. say that, that I would, in context, explain that she's a Cirque du Soleil performer. Mm -hmm. And she needs symmetry for that. So I, so I would document that. But that's where you want to measure the function that they're having issues with. Like even golfers. Mm -hmm. you know, we get these golfers here in Arizona who, male golfers in particular, if they have a little discomfort, that, that usually isn't enough to get them into the office. What happens is when their drive average is now 30, when their drives are 30, 30 yards short of their average, now they're pissed. And yeah. now they come in. And that is a metric that I said, okay, I want you to keep track of your drives now as we treat you and let's see if that's improving or not. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a functional thing that's, that's relatable to them that we can keep track of and see that the whole key to this, Josh, is that we've got to determine, we've got to be able to show, is the patient improving with our care? Because as the guy that reviews these records, it looks like we're just treating these people for however long we can. 
And like you said earlier in, the, in, in this in this interview, you said that, you know, seven, 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 oh, oh, all of a sudden it's a two. Oh, they're all better now at the end of it. That's not how this goes usually. We need to see for each trial of care, are they improving or not to justify more care? And, and instead of thinking about this as a drag and as a chore, let's mm-hmm. think of it as this is how we can show everyone how effective we are. That's the beauty of this whole thing. Yeah, and I think- so the metrics I'm talking about, the ones relevant to chiropractors, <clears throat> excuse me, are the pain intensity, pain frequency, the outcome questionnaires, and maybe the range of motion measurements. But again, I'm not I'm not all that excited about measuring only the quantity of motion. I'm more interested in measuring the quality of the motion, and that could be a whole different story. Like even with FMS and F- and SFMA type screening. I always tell doctors to do it. I'm like, I want to see you getting into the actual measuring of these things. I want to see what's no, what are normal measurements for age and gender populations, and what is what is this patient, so that we can determine and start tracking this metrically because data is key. Even our researchers in chiropractic who are just wonderful, they're begging us. They're they're begging me, Greg, tell these doctors. We need more data. We need numbers. We need metrics with this. And I have friends and family in the medical field also, and it's the same story. The more data they can have, the more information they have, the more they can help people. And that's the key. And I'm telling you, Josh, the, word, the eyes of the world are upon us. And, and I welcome it if we can show it. If we're going to keep doctoring like crap like we have for however many years now, it is not going to help us. In fact, in fact, you know, right now we're, we're waiting for Congress to hopefully pass this Medicare bill and everyone's all excited about it. And then every now and then somebody will ask me, Hey Greg, what do you think about this, this Medicare bill? And I'm like, well, it's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Like why is that on the one hand, I'm stoked about, it. I mean, that in my state of Arizona, insurance reimbursement is like the worst in the country. It's just terrible here. Medicare, if Medicare would actually pay us for the other stuff, it'd be the best payer other than PI. And, and that would be the same in a lot of states. And there's 50 million people that are on Medicare so with, with a very low copay. And it's growing, right? And it's grow, every day it's growing like that. Oh. So that would be a good thing. The bad thing is, if we continue to document as poorly as we have, uh-huh. Medicare is going to take one look at that and say, you know what? We're done with you guys. We've yeah. given you opportunities. We've told you what is wrong. We've told you how to fix it, and you just blow us off every time. You're not worth our time anymore. And now we're all completely shut out. And some doctors watching this say, oh, just tell me, tell me how to get out of Medicare altogether. That's not where we want to be as a profession. That's 50 million people that we can benefit, that we can help and show how effective chiropractic is. We just need to know how to do it right and effectively and efficiently. And it's so easy to do that. And, you know, those people need care more than the, than the 50 million 25 year olds, uh, that we right. can find too, you know, and it, it's amazing what chiropractic can do for them. And the risks are so low. Oh God. Anyways, yeah. we go on and on. Hey, Greg, one, one last tip for measuring range of motion. You got any tips or tools that you would recommend people get? Um, I know even iPhones now have, you know, inclinometers and, and, uh, uh, measuring devices that are hyper accurate. Somebody told me, a researcher at um, Belmont University said that the iPhone is accurate to their test, say half a degree to one degree is the amount of error. And a, a JTEC is two degrees. So <laughs> what you have in your iPhone is more accurate than a JTEC. 
but it's not a dual inclinometer setup. You know, it's just a single. But right. So to measure the extremities, a goniometer is all you need. To measure mm-hmm. the spine, at least currently, dual inclinometers are what we need. Um, it, I, I use I use some other technology to actually look at the qua- the quality of motion. Uh-huh. And the quantity at the same time, so I'm measuring both. Uh-huh. That is what gives me more information because actually the quality of motion to me is more important. The quantity is only just a metric that I can track, but the quality is really telling me what's happening with the patient, uh, what they're able to do, what they're not able to do. Are they getting a flexion relaxation response at the proper time or is it not happening? Uh-huh. So I like to track that as well. It's a very functional kind of a thing for that. Uh, I, I'm learning from this. You're you properly overlay many ideas to get the picture of the patient rather than, I think some people think, and and I would be in this camp too, that certain things can live in isolation. What I've heard from you is, you know, don't just rely on a single factor, just like when you're doing an exam, Um, you know, like one positive orthopedic test means almost nothing, right? Right. But three positive orthopedic tests that are all targeted in the facet and, you know, your complaints fit the facet pain, mediated pain, like, all those things start putting together this picture. And what I'm hearing from you is you can do range of motion. Then if you do that in combination with, I'm I'm just stabbing at this, but surface EMG, it's not one of those by itself. It's the combination of those things that's telling you how do those things work in conjunction with this patient. And then let's cross compare those to what the patient's complaining about or how they're describing the pain. And now we have a really good clinical picture. Okay, so let me give you, that's exactly right. Let me give you a, a, a real-life example of that. So this is talking about personal injury. So mm-hmm. uh, patients who've been in auto accidents, for example. Patient comes in uh, with neck pain, and, and they, also say, they always say this, neck pain that goes into my shoulders, right? So I always ask these patients, show me where in your shoulders, because I want to know, are they talking about their actual shoulder yeah. or more of the traps? Mm-hmm. Almost always, they mean the traps, right? Mm-hmm. So they'll say, it's going into my left trap and things like that. Okay. What we don't realize or what I didn't realize for years is when we think about radicular issues from the cervical spine, we're thinking about see the dermatomes of C5, 6, 7, 8, T1. And I'm telling doctors now, start considering above C5. Because do you know what the dermatomal pattern is for C4? It's the traps. My point is, when you've got to pay, you, a lot of doctors, they, they don't, they had a patient, oh yeah, my patient has neck pain uh, that goes to the left trap, and they, they blow it off. And what I'm mm-hmm. saying is, that's, that's pain in a dermal tomal distribution. That mm-hmm. could be ridiculous. So when I see that patient, I'm like, okay, this is possible ridiculous here. I'm looking at the C3, C4 level of the spine. That's what I'm thinking. The orthopedic test that I do, looking for ridiculous findings, Ridiculous findings may be negative for that. That's okay. I'm going to now measure range of motion, both quantity and quality. If I see muscle guarding in certain positions there, now I start to think to myself, okay, what is the, what is the body guarding from? What, why are the muscles guarding? What is the body trying to tell me? Well, the body is trying to protect that person from something. For example, if there's ligament damage or instability, wouldn't the body's natural response to be to protect that in some way by making the muscles tighten up and guard, trying to protect you with that? So I'm thinking, okay, so then I do x-rays. I do flexion extension x-rays, and I actually 
have them measured with that. And then I, and then I, I, I often, not always, but oftentimes we'll find, okay, there is some amount of ligament damage at C4, C3, C5, that, that general area. So now I'm thinking I've got muscle guarding, I've got pain in a dermal tomal distribution, and I've got ligament damage all in the same area like that. And my next step is I set them for an MRI. I get an MRI back, and now it says I've got muscle guarding, ligament damage, uh, pain in a dermatomal distribution, and a herniated disc at C4. Now it all starts to make sense to me. Right. And from a, from a case point of view in the PI world, that just changed the entire complexity of this case. It changed the, it, it, it switched categories. It is a completely different animal now that I've got disc herniation with all this other information. And the problem is in the PI world, chiropractors and even medical doctors, the exams that, that everyone's doing is literally 75% deficient. The, when, a, when a medical doctor performs an IME on a patient, that exam is 75% deficient. It's ridiculous. Wow. So we start looking at these different factors in there. Mm. It puts together a clinical picture that we now can start thinking about. Mm. How does this work? How do I best approach this with the patient? Can I, am I showing improvement or not? If I am, great. If I'm not, maybe I need to co-manage with somebody else. That's how we can do this. Awesome. Well, Greg, I feel like you could just pile gold on us for an hour here. Uh, you're like Scrooge McDuck, you know, where he's swimming around his gold coins, you know, uh, but it's all knowledge. So uh, the fact that you've been in chiropractic for 142 years, you know, is impressive. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. My pleasure, Josh. <laughs> so Greg, one more time as we wrap this up, because I know that uh, I don't want to hold back too much of your time. And I really appreciate what you shared. Where can people go to find you and your courses and, uh, and give them an idea what the courses are like? Because you I like the uniqueness of your start time and end time because it's it honors the fact that people are traveling to see you and whatnot. Yeah, so again, my the website is got documentation. So it's think Game of Thrones. I'm going to use that now. G O T documentation dot com. And uh, as of right now, I have three more seminars for uh, this year. I'll be in New York City this weekend. As we record this, it's December fourth. So. There are only three weekends left, my man. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be in uh, New York City this weekend and then oh, cool. uh, Spokane, Washington. And I finish up Same in Same place, really. Manhattan, Spokane. Yeah, same idea. You won't even be able to tell the difference. Lexington, Kentucky, the weekend okay. before Christmas, and then I'm done for a while. And then uh, I'll have my 2020 schedule up on my website soon. My, so my seminars are two days, Saturday and Sunday. So Saturday, yeah, we start at one o'clock. So some doctors see patients on Saturday mornings. Some doctors are traveling in from other parts mm -hmm. of the country. You that. complete your week, spend Friday night with your husband or wife, and then fly out yeah. Saturday morning. So we do one to seven on Saturday, then eight to two on Sunday. And, then, and, I, and I, take, I take you through the whole process of what the requirements are, what the rules are, and then I dive into with you how we can actually do this really easily and really quickly and really cost-effectively for yeah, that. That's great. And how we can actually show the world who we are as chiropractors, how effective we are at what we do. Yeah. I went to a seminar, Greg, one time and the guy was like, yeah, that's why at the end of this, every daily note you produce is going to be three to four pages long. Yeah. Just think how that'll look to the insurance company. I'm like, well, you're not going to send them to medical doctors. That's for damn sure. Cause nobody's going to read through that crap. Yeah. Can you imagine that three to four pages per daily chart. Anyways. Yep. Uh, and so you're doing some, for those folks that are listening from a very cold climate, uh, you, you're typically the, 
the cold months of January and February, you ha- you do some warm weather seminars and whatnot, and you enjoy life, right? Yeah, I'll be, I, I usually start my year in January in the Pacific Northwest because it's crappy weather, but not too crappy that I can't get there, like Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, Boise, Idaho, things like that. And then I might do Florida a few times in the first quarter yeah. of the year. Awesome. Make it easier. All right. All right, Greg. Well, thank you so much for the time this morning, my man. Uh, for those of you listening in, we recorded this but early and I almost missed it because I almost overslept. But uh, I'm talking to Greg and as you know, many people have seen him. He's wrapped in a robe and he even did his hair. Did you do it to the right or left? I can't tell with the way it's that the- It's down the middle this morning. It is? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. So uh, on behalf of Dr. Greg Freeman, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there uh, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks a lot, Greg. Thanks, my pleasure. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Clinic Gym Radio. If you're looking for more information, just head to clinicgymhybrid.com. That's clinicgymhybrid.com and check us out there.